G'day everybody, I'm Scott Poynton and welcome to another Kui podcast. And today I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Hunsaker and we are in Seattle in the far northwest of the United States. So good morning, Anne-Marie, how are you? Hi, Scott, good morning. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us in, in, in our Kui podcast. And I should say that Anne-Marie works for the Forest Trust. Um, how long have you been with us, Anne-Marie? I started last September, 2017. Okay, so just over a year. And we had a really wonderful time at our person-to-person gathering. That was in July, wasn't it? Yeah. In July in Switzerland, Anne-Marie came over and joined. And I really enjoyed um, my discussion with her. And I asked her very politely and reverently if we could do a Kui podcast together, because I think she's got a really wonderful story to share. And she very kindly agreed. So here we are. So Anne-Marie, um, tell, us, um, tell us just a bit about your work background. How did you come to join us here in TFT? Yeah, here at TFT, I was before this, I was working on climate change research just for six months at a farmland trust, which is actually just on the other side of this canal that this Seattle TFT office is on. Mm -hmm. We're right on this beautiful canal and um, just across the bridge is a farmland trust here in Seattle at works on preserving local farmland and I was doing climate change research for them and then heard about TFT. And here you are. And here I am. And what are you working on with us? So mostly I work on traceability in palm oil. Okay. And which is the transparency part of the VTTV. Yeah. Helping people understand where they get their raw materials from. Yeah. So then they can see about whether there's deforestation and any social Mm -hmm. issues and things like that. Yep. Anyway, so that's all very interesting, but that's not really what I was interested (laughs) in talking to you about. Um, At our gathering, you know, you really shared, I think, some great wisdom and some stories from your your past, which really touched my heart, I have to say. And um, and so I'm really grateful that you'd talk with us on a Kui podcast. And, you know, if you could just sort of share a little bit about, you know, those, I'm really fascinated too. I have to say that, you know, when I think of um, I think of you, I think of you a bit of someone who's very connected to the earth, and I know that you have great um, feelings and emotions um, mm. about what's happening, you know, with climate change and mm-hmm. species extinction and, and the way humans treat each other. So we'll come come to that a bit later on because I think it's really really. I know you feel these things very deeply. Yes, and um, that really touched my heart. And um, but you had a really interesting childhood, and mm-hmm. um, I'd really love to just hear a bit more about that. Yeah, when I look back on my childhood and and some of the things that came up at the person to person was this experience I had when I was seven. When I was seven and uh, my family, we went down to California where we have some relatives and I had a cousin who she's a couple years older than me and didn't have a religious upbringing with her mom and dad. And Mm. she lived in Oakland and it was a much more open and liberal progressive environment than what I was growing up in. And um, so I was seven and she was nine Mm. and she told me about sex. And I mean, I had heard that word and I had some curiosity around the word and we were at my aunt's house and we were sitting in this tree, this beautiful tree that is, will forever be in my memory and we were sitting on opposite sides of this tree with a string attached with a basket in the middle. And we were sending this basket back and forth and I would ask her questions mm-hmm. and then she would respond. And these were, you know, questions about sex, about our bodies, about mm. 
things like that. And things that you've never thought of before. No, exactly. Yeah. And never been able to ask anyone. Mm. And I would say there was an element of secrecy around it at that time, you know, like this wasn't something I was maybe supposed to talk to adults about and right. we kind of had to keep it a secret, but there wasn't, I wasn't say I was experiencing shame around mm. even asking those questions to my cousin mm. at the time. You're probably just excited to be able to talk about it with someone. Exactly. You know, and a, and, a, and a, someone who you trusted and, you know, mm -hmm. had, had a bond with. Yeah, for yeah. sure. She was my, like my cousin, but probably my closest friend closest as well. Friend, yeah. And what happened is probably the next day, my mom found this basket because, you know, my, my cousin's name is Nicole. She and I, we weren't, we weren't really even thinking to hide this right, basket. Right. It was we just were, a great we, conversation Yeah, we were really you were being having. that careful <laughs> You were being open and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so right. I think we just left it outside in yeah. the, the tree, very accessible. Mm. And my mom found it. And I have this vivid memory of sitting in my aunt and uncle's house, just like, you know, sitting on the stairs and my, I have cousins and aunts and uncles all around and my mom just walking in sobbing, like literally sobbing in front of everyone. Mm. And even before she told me what she was crying about, I, I knew. You knew, yeah. I did. I I couldn't really probably put it into words, but I knew it had something to do with me. Mm. And and that conversation via notes the day before. Yes. Yeah. How did you feel? I mean, at that moment. I that is my first real memory of feeling really deep shame. Mm. Mm. Because I knew my mom was crying because of something I did. Mm. And I don't even remember the conversation that she and I had mm. after this, because I know we talked about it. Mm. But it it was in that moment that it I internalized so much about shame and mm. that maybe my even my curiosity around sex or sexuality was bad. Mm. Maybe even my own body or sexual desire or any of those things that was, there was something so shameful and Which that shouldn't that about. shouldn't be talked about. And that actually it would cause my mom deep pain. Mm. It wasn't even that she was angry. She was like deeply sad. Yeah. Hurt. Terribly, she was, terribly hurt. Yeah. she was in like a lot of pain. Mm. Something her beautiful seven-year-old daughter yeah. talking about these things because of, I guess, her own background of exactly. conservative religious um, totally. experience that she'd had. All her yeah, life. she also grew up mm. in in a in a different in a very in a Catholic um, home that was also very strict and had has her own history of trauma around sexuality, mm. you know, which I didn't know at the time, right. but. Now, now as I work through shame, because I still carry, I still carry shame, though I've been able to release a lot of it. And I, I say I do regularly. It, shame is still something that wants to, to come back. And that was the start of it. I mean, you know, you mentioned yeah. when we spoke in July that 
that was just the start of this shame exactly. process that you know you constantly felt as a as a child this sense of shame mm-hmm. around things that you were interested in that perhaps mm-hmm. was a bit outside of 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 the frame in which your your very loving and kind family <laughs> were bringing you up in yes um, but nonetheless you know you were interested in exploring other things but mm-hmm. this shame constant feeling of shame just kept yep. closing you down and it has my mm-hmm. whole life mm-hmm. and and I think both this experience when I was seven and the confusing messages that the type of Christianity I was raised in really contributed to that was this message of Jesus loves you and there's nothing you can do um, to make him stop loving you. And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So these really positive messages, but at the same time, you're almost, I was being hammered over the head with, but you're a sinner. Hmm. You were born a sinner, this Hmm. concept of original sin. And you deserve to burn in hell, a literal hell um, into eternity. But you should be so grateful that Jesus died on the cross for For you. all these terrible things you're doing, (laughs) he loves you. He loves you so much. Uh, But you you deserve to burn, but he loves you so much. That's confusing. It's super confusing. For a young person. For a young person. Yeah. And for someone like me where uh, I I internalized that and I believed it 100%. Mm. And I actually carried shame that I, like, I caused Jesus's death. I would sob over this, that Jesus had to die because I'm a bad person. Mm. Oh, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did this sort of manifest itself in, in, your, in your life? You know, as you grew up from that, you know, young seven-year-old who'd had this first experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you, you went to school and, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're in the world. Yeah. How did it manifest itself for you? I mean, how did you live through through that in a way? How did you carry it? A couple of things initially come to mind when you ask that question. And one is a one is a positive in that I feel like it it is part of what contributed to making me a really sensitive person, which has been hard, but towards other people. So I I can really feel when other people are experiencing or carrying shame. And I tend to be able to really empathize with them. And I, I want them to yeah. know that it's okay and that they're loved, even though I would say I, it's hard for me to extend that same compassion to myself. So mm. that has been, so the positive is that I could be really compassionate to others who, but it's hard for me to do that for myself. Why is that, do you reckon? I would say... I would say it is just that the 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 things I ended up believing that there was something in, intrinsically wrong with me. Can't quite put that down. Yeah. yeah. And and I work very hard to put it down and even in my um adult re- reasoning intellectual brain I know it's not true and I say it's not true. But I still sometimes have a very emotional uh, in my gut res- response as if there is something intrinsically wrong with me. Mm. It's a heavy burden, this whole mm-hmm. thing of shame. It's, a, it's so debilitating, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And did you find, I mean, you know, at some point you, you were able to 
break free from yeah. this real debilitating part of it. I mean, you still carry it, as you say, mm-hmm. but you know, when was there a particular moment when you're able to say, you know, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm it's, I'm done with that. Or was it something that happened more slowly over time? Mm-hmm. I would say it's been happening for about 11 years. It's been a process. Can we ask how old you are? Not always polite of men to ask women how old they are. (laughs) No, yeah, I'm 32. 32, yeah. And I would say the process of releasing shame and loving myself and coming into my own started when I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Was there a moment or you just said, I've had enough of this and I'm moving on? Or? Um, I think, so the thing, the thing that comes to mind is that I started going to a church actually really close to the TFT office um, that was a really progressive, loving community um, because I was at that time thinking maybe I don't know how I can stay in the church, Mm. but I found a church where there was a priest there who for Lent, I don't know how many of you or if you, Scott, are familiar with Lent. Do explain. I'm familiar, but yeah, do explain. Yeah. Yeah. Lent, a season in the Christian calendar where in the Bible, Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, and didn't eat anything and he fasted. So there's this period of Lent where it's a more somber um, time in the Christian calendar where people tend to give up things. They tend to say, I'm not going to drink alcohol or Mm. eat chocolate and I'm going to really focus on, tends to be more like my sins and how to confess my Mm. sins. Mm. But this priest, when I was 21, he saw that I, I was already (laughs) thinking about how much of a sinner I was all the time. And, Mm how I couldn't get out. I was carrying so much shame. You were stuck there. I was. And so for Lent, he said, Anne-Marie, you need to indulge yourself for Lent. (laughs) How progressive. (laughs) Yes. He was like, you already deprive yourself of so much of the joy that you deserve in life. So for Lent, if you want to eat that second brownie, you need to eat that second brownie. He gave you permission. He gave me permission. Yeah. And that was one of the the best gifts that that mm. someone could give me, especially someone coming from the Christian community right. to say that to me it was yeah. a big deal. Big breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I and then I would say the second biggest experience that's happened in the last seven years that has helped me really free my free myself from shame has been um the Me Too movement. Okay, yeah. And doing therapy around really talking to a therapist about sexuality and mm. my own experiences and mm. my body and so many of the harmful messages I was raised with as a woman in the church about those things. Mm. And and through actually going to the darkest place in therapy where I was like, I don't know if I can really survive talking about these things, Mm. even telling my husband, like, I don't know that I can actually survive if I really think about some of the things that have happened to me or that I was taught these things by people who said that they loved me. 
how how can I keep on going mm. if I really face that? Yeah. But what is so cool is that that darkness lasted for about six months in therapy. And then I felt so much freedom. You got it out of the system. I did. Yeah. And this woman, my therapist, she was with me through it the whole time. You've, it sounds like you've met two really important people in your life, mm-hmm. you know, helps you grapple with this stuff. Yeah. A heavy burden. For sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, without going into the, the nitty-gritty, but these messages that you were getting about these things in the church, I mean, were they in the – was it just an undercurrent of feeling or were these explicitly, you know, said to you as a young woman growing up and – um, how did it manifest itself that you were mm-hmm. given this, these, these, this burden to carry? Yeah. Was it more implicit in what was said or, you know, it sounds like you were in quite a, mm-hmm. as you say, quite a conservative environment there mm-hmm. that, you know, was really shutting down any of these thoughts of, of, yeah, of sexuality or women's freedom or any yeah. of these things. I mean, did, was it really explicit or was it? I mean, I'm sure they're all great people too. <laughs> For you know, sure. Great people too, but just this terrible impact that it's had to close down all these things to the point where, you know, you, you were yeah, you're wondering whether you could go on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like a terrible process, yeah. but I'm sure they didn't mean that. No, and and yeah. that that's a that is a really confusing thing. Yeah. Um, that people who really do love me mm. and did then would be part of passing on such damaging beliefs and and it was both explicit and and implicit it Mm. was sort of just a culture of men being the only ones allowed to be in charge and that that was an explicit thing so in the church like only men could be in leadership Mm. and then in the sex education i got I, i always went to christian schools and there's a really conservative author called Dr. Dobson, and he wrote like a Christian sex ed. That is what I was taught. And it was basically told us that, you know, don't have sex till you're married. And if you do have sex before, you'll probably get AIDS. Oh, okay. <laughs> or right, because you're a terrible sinner. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. you deserve you will it, burn in hell, and, you, and deserve you deserve it, it too. Yeah, right. And if you don't get AIDS, um, you will have given away a part of your heart to someone that you'll never get back, and then you'll only be able to give your husband a this tattered, broken heart. Um, and it was always very focused on it that being the woman's responsibility. Right. Like your fault. Exactly. Like, and um, you need, especially to be a virgin for the person you married. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter as much if he is or not. Right. right. He can (laughs) do whatever he likes. (laughs) But you for sure have to be, and um, you will break God's heart if, if you do that before you get married. Wow. So these were, those were very explicit messages. Mm, Sounds it. Yeah. And yeah. just generally. Um, and you mentioned the Me Too movement, which mm-hmm. is pretty recent. Um, Very. You know, it's only the last, I was going to say 12 months, maybe a little bit more perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, tell us a bit a bit more about how that's helped you. You know, just, yeah. I guess, women finding their voice. And, exactly. and also men, men who have clearly done things mm-hmm. in the past, 
starting to get held account to, to be held accountable for their past actions. Is, yeah. Is this the sort of messages that have helped you, you know, move through this? Yeah. It, the Me Too movement and especially the defining clearly what consent means right. um, were things that I started just reading either on Facebook or seeing people post about it or talk about it and realizing, wow, that uh, people thought about these things really differently than the way it was raised. And they were actually saying things like, uh, it's not your fault if you're wearing a tight skirt, if someone assaults you, like, it's actually not okay. <laughs> Just, that's, that's not okay. No, yeah. it's yeah. like, because there was, we were sort of raised as women in the church, like, if, like, you might cause a man to, to sin or to rape you, and it, mm. it's going to kind of be your fault yeah. for either being drunk or wearing tight clothes or being flirtatious. And so when I started with the Me Too movement, seeing women and men actually speak up, like men who were supporting this cause, and they were uh, being really clear about like what what is yes and what's no. And mm. I was sort of, it was like a revelation to mm. me. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it's like something inside me knew that that was true and that these things I had been taught were not true. But you hadn't been able to almost accept that. Right. No, 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 I definitely hadn't. I'd been carrying, I had been carrying the responsibility of those things as if some of the things that did happen to me were my fault. Mm. You know, don't talk about it if you don't want to, but I mean, it's just sort of present, I think, in in, in the discussion. I mean, did something happen to you that really was a terrible thing that you carried the shame for? I mean, as as you grow up? Yeah, no, I... I think because when we, we've been talking about sort of these two liberation moments that I can really speak of, one with the priest and then one in therapy. And this therapy happened not that long ago. It was 2016 to 20, mm. June 2016 to June 2017. So mm. really not that long ago. Quite recent, yeah. That You've been carrying this stuff yes, for a long time. Yes, and the Me Too movement and then some conversations that happened afterwards created the space, I think, for me to finally, you know, go there. Mm. And what what had happened was in May of 2010, and I'm I won't really go into much detail, mm. was that I was raped mm. and I lost my virginity that way. Mm. And I was I was a Christian at that time who was saving myself for marriage. And so it was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the way I was raised and the messages I had been taught, I did take it on as my fault. And I even was convinced that it was my fault Mm -hmm. for five years. I was convinced, you know, but I, I had... I had a feeling in my gut that that wasn't the whole story. You were being hard on yourself. The few people I told, my closest girlfriends, I told it in a way which was like, yeah, this this happened. And like, I don't really know how that happened. I was, you know, I had had something 
drink and I, I totally, um, took it on as that it had just been my fault and that maybe somehow I had changed my mind that I wasn't going to wait till I got married. You know, I, I had to go through all these so justifications exactly to try to make to try to make sense of it and kind of box it in into a way that it could make sense in my life that you could hold on to it it wasn't going to destroy you but it was destroying me yeah because only a year after that happened i started having panic attacks and and then this this five-year mark where i ended up going to therapy and the me too movement which really all the things they were saying was to me was Anne Marie. Actually, what happened to you was not your fault. Yeah, you're not a bad person, and you're not a bad person, and that what happened is not what you wanted to happen. Right. Um, Thank God for that. Yeah, which is <sighs> so liberating. Yeah, I mean, imagine I can just get this sense of you breathing out finally. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was huge, and to have my therapist the first time I told her, she used the word rape, and she said. You were raped, and mm. that was a word I could never mm. say. I would always say, this happened, and it was my fault. And she never once. Just no way you were No, raped. there was yeah. no way that it was my fault. Oh, bless her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, goodness me. And even just talking about it right now with you, I can feel this weight off of me, liberation. this liberation. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. You know, I mean, i got to say, and I said at the start, you know, when you came and joined us at the person-to-person gathering, that, you know, Julian and, and we, you know, we held in July in Switzerland, I just felt this incredible, I don't know, it's not a, I don't want to say power in you because it's not, it wasn't that, it was just a presence. You know, you had this presence in the room and it's like you had something to tell us, <laughs> you know, and, and I think you, you really did. And um, obviously, you know, we didn't talk about this particular detail, but got this incredible sense that you were not only that you'd carried something, but it was coming out. You mm-hmm. know? It didn't feel it all came out there, but it, it was almost like, you know, you, you were letting it go. <laughs> yeah. you, you, it just started to let it go. And, um, and it was a, an extremely powerful moment for, for me and I know for Julian, I think everyone in the room, when you started to speak and sharing this into the room. Um, and, you know, I was really, I was really grateful for that um, and I, I was really hopeful for you. You know, because um, it seemed that this had been something you'd been carrying for a very mm-hmm. long time. Um, yes. But I think this talking about it is just so critical, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, you've been holding on to this stuff. Yep. For, well, since you were seven. Yep. And then since 2010 with, you know, when you were raped, mm-hmm. you've just been holding on to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Your fault. Right. I mean, holding on to it's one thing, but holding on to it is something that you're responsible for and you're going to burn in hell for. It's, mm-hmm. It's another level it's altogether, another isn't it? another level. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, you know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. here you are. Here I am. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, get, and getting stronger and stronger. And exactly. Not just getting stronger. I think you're strong now. Yeah, I Still, can feel it. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. it. We had a great walk and talk yesterday. Yes, we did. Just a different, um, well, I didn't know you then, of course. I didn't know you before the gathering, but even since the gathering, I'm just getting this sense of this person who's starting to fly. You are Thank Clyde. You. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just maybe not everyone knows, but Clyde is one of the stories I've written about this little bird that, you know, had a bit of a tough life and mm. um, got help to be set free. And I think mm-hmm. it seems to me that you're starting to fly. I feel that way. Yeah. Look, I wanted to, this might be a good time to talk about your writing. Yeah. 
in your poetry. But perhaps also, you know, I'm, if we can just touch on, I mean, you haven't, it just seems to me, I, I wonder sometimes, I don't know if you've looked into this, but I wonder if you've got maybe some Indigenous mm. um, American um, ancestors. Mm. And the reason I say that is because I feel you're very connected to the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, and you, we've talked about this, is this, you know, when forests are burning, um, you know, because of climate change and when, um, animals are being killed or something. It's almost like you feel that pain viscerally yourself. You feel it. It's it's a pain you feel. You know, the forest burn, you're, you burn. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that this is obviously on the one hand you think, and, and we, you know, I, I'll shut up in a minute and you can talk about it, but, you know, this thing that people say, oh, oh Anne-Marie, don't worry about that. It'll be okay. Well, no, you, you, you know, when the forest burn, I mean, it's almost like you burn too. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wondered about this yeah, I mean, this sounds to me like the, the way that Indigenous people feel. I've, mm. I've, over the years, I've done a bit of work with Indigenous people, particularly in Africa, not much, but I've had the real wonderful opportunity to, mm. to engage with, you know, pygmy communities in Africa and I've seen some of their rituals and things. And I'm grateful to my friend Jerome um, Lewis, who's an anthropologist, and he's opened those doors to me. But I just wonder this sense you have of this connection to the earth. If mm-hmm. you could just tell me a little bit more about that because I think it's very precious and, mm. and I think I, I feel and what I'm excited about and really why I wanted to do the podcast with you is that this sense that you're finally emerging, you know, from mm-hmm. this crushing shame that you've been carried and this carrying and this burden you've been carrying. I, I, and here we go as we're moving into really difficult times mm-hmm. with climate change. I think we need your voice in the world. Mm. I really do. Thank I think you. you've got an ancient wisdom somewhere <laughs> there. I don't know why. That's why I wondered about if you've ever looked that you might have some indigenous, indigenous American ancestors because mm. I think, you know, those people in particular were very connected to the land and very connected to the earth. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that's the case, but could you speak about this this connection you have to, to Mother Earth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for asking. And this is such a big question and... I'll try to talk about it. It's sort of like, how do you, how do you talk about the person or the thing or what the earth that you love so much is like, there aren't, it's sort of beyond words in Mm. some ways. But I, I would also say that some of the process of being liberated from shame has made more room for expansion of my, heart to hold (laughs) for love maybe I I think that I have always loved the earth even from just a when I was really little I actually liked to play by myself most of the time just out in the trees and under flower bushes because I grew up in the city. So, you know, I didn't have a forest nearby, but we had a bunch of small trees and bushes in our yard that I love to just go play in. And Where I love fairies lived, right? Exactly. <laughs> they were out there with you. <laughs> they were. Yeah. And I love to garden and yeah. and I even love to talk to God out there. And 
And my favorite things to do in the summer were to go to Mount Rainier here in Washington and go hiking. And I, I felt most myself out there. Mm. And, but at the same time, I was being given sort of another strange message from the Christian community, which was a very anti-environmentalist mm. uh, message. The, world, the earth is there for us to use yes. for our benefit. And it's God's going to destroy the world in the end and, you know, we're all going to go to heaven or hell. So it doesn't really matter. Mm. And I would say it wasn't a huge thing that was being said a lot, but it was definitely. It was present. It was present. And it it definitely was didn't resonate with what I thought. But I at the time, I took what these people said to be true. Right. They, were, they were your teachers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so my my journey of working through my shame and also I would say leaving and then leaving that Christian community and those beliefs behind, it opened me up to be able to really feel how much I love the earth and Mm. how connected to her I feel. Mm. And that, I mean, I can't, I can't even walk by, a crow really anymore or a Canadian goose without just wanting to bow to them. I I even wrote a poem about how God is the crow eating your garbage. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to publish these. We'll come back to the poems in a minute. That literally these, the earth is so alive and these beings are, are so sacred. I mean, an eagle is, I, I literally want to get on the ground and just bow. Mm. Beautiful, sacred animals, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and the forests. And the forests. Yeah, cathedrals. I, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's caused me to want to know all of their names as well. Mm. You know, I want to be able to, when I go to a forest, not just look up and be like, oh, there's all these trees here. I, I want to know their names. Mm. I mm. want to know them. Mm. And they deserve that. That recognition. They do. Mm-hmm. As, as, as beings. Yes. Yeah. And I, I would say that that is sort of, that's a big part of what led me to to TFT and to where I am now was finally this coming into of, you could say maybe I worship the earth. <laughs> Though I wouldn't say, I wouldn't really use the word worship, but, you know, where I used to bow to, a God. Now I have this response of wanting to bow, um, even to the soil. Mm. I, when I go for walks, I sometimes do try to say this in indigenous, it's not even a prayer. It's called the Thanksgiving address. Right, I know it, yeah. yeah. Where they're, they're saying they're sending their greetings and their thanks to the soil, to the, the trees, birds, to the, the trees, birds. Yeah. The water. Exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is. And that is sort of how I want to to be here when I when I walk when I mm. well, for my very very short time on this earth I want my posture to be one of gratitude mm. and connection and respect yeah deep respect and I know you suffer terribly when. We could talk about this for hours and <laughs> climate change and all of these things, but this, I this do. really, you suffer, you know. I know you suffer yeah. deeply as a, as a, 
you know, soulful suffering, you know, when the, something bad happens, you feel it yeah, as if it's happening to you. Right. I wrote you that when you sent yeah. out the being kind email to mm. all of us at TFT, mm. um, that just that previous weekend, I was just sobbing on my couch at 11 p.m. at night because the forests all around us here in Seattle were on fire, you know, in California, Oregon, Washington, B.C. Mm. And just thinking of all those trees burning and all those animals and the humans impacted, I I actually had a feeling inside of me like I was going to die mm. too. Mm. Like this sadness, how can, how can... How can this, how can this be? How do we carry it? How do we carry it? How do I get up tomorrow? And even, even sort of this question, how do I get up tomorrow and let myself enjoy something right. when the, all of this is happening? Mm. It's a tough burden to carry, but I, I, I just feel, you know, and I, I don't have words for this, but I, I think we need that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, you know, I've written, you know, I, I don't know if you've many, had a chance to read it yet, this sense of we've got to, be in that despair. We do. We've got to, we can't just say, oh, it'll be all right, Anne-Marie, don't Mm-mm. worry. You know, come on, you're being silly now. No. No. You know, we've, we've got to get down there and, and feel that despair and, and, you know, soak in it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just let it enter us so that it's the only chance we've got to get out of it, I think, to yes. be with it. And to be fully ourselves, we've got to be with the light, the joy, all the happy things that happen in our life. But we've we've got to be with that darkness too. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think so many people just won't go there. Yes. Um, and and in, in many ways, I think that's why the bad things keep happening. Me too. Because they don't know the darkness. Mm-hmm. They don't see the darkness. They don't mm-hmm. feel it. So it happens again. Mm-hmm. They're only looking at the light. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can get down there and really feel the pain of that darkness, and if more of us can do that, there's a greater opportunity for us to say, no, we're not going to go and do that thing because that could lead to that pain again for exactly. myself, for those around me, for the animals, for the plants, for the earth. And I, I just feel, you know, what you described in, in your email to me was, I, I just thought, well, actually, that's part of the solution. Yes. We've got to, you know, I just came, I think I was telling you yesterday, I came from the meeting where when about transforming conservation, when everyone was saying, oh, shouldn't we be talking about climate change? No, 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 we don't talk about that. It just means we just got to work harder. It's like, well, hold on, you're all these conservation biologists, you're mm-hmm. already working incredibly hard. Yes. You're killing yourself, you're burning yourself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and climate change is just going to overwhelm everything that you've been mm-hmm. trying to do. Let's just hold that for a minute. Yes. And it might light a path for us to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I just think as long as we just keep hitting our head against a wall, we're not going to make it. So right. I think there's, you know, there's something, there's something wise in what you're saying and, um, and, I, and I value it very much and I, I think there's this sense of being in the darkness and, and, and accepting mm-hmm. it in, as part of our lives so that we can know, A, how to carry it, but B, how to perhaps avoid it in the future. Right. So I feel, I don't know if that's right, but it just seems to be speaking to me, you know, when I, when I hear you speak and, um, yeah. I think that a lot of people are carrying grief or despair or anxiety that they're not aware of around climate change Mm -hmm. and around 
what's happening in the earth and, and, and even what's happening in politics and all of the wars and, and humans treating other humans in unimaginable ways. So badly. But I see it here among my friends or people is like, we, we just keep ourselves busy and yeah. people, I know that they just go out for drinks and like, let's just not talk about it, yeah. but they're carrying it in them. And if, if we could actually sit down and be able to say, wow, I am so sad about the, these forests on fire. I, I'm actually so sad that I was like crying last night and I don't know what to do. And, and if we even then didn't try to say, what are we going to do? But I bet other people sitting there would actually feel like, wow, I am really sad about that too. I can share that too. I can share that. I don't need to feel ashamed. Exactly. I'm not the only one who's worried about that. We might be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think poetry is important too. And, you know, we spoke yesterday, you know, you you shared me your, one of your beautiful poems and um, you mentioned that actually, you know, you've been writing these poems since you're about four. Yeah. And, um, and that now, again, you know, you feel that they're coming again and that you're writing more and more. And um, I wondered, you know, I, I said maybe you'd like to share a poem with us and it looks like you've got one there. Yes, I do. Would you be able to tell us a bit about the poem and perhaps give us, mm-hmm. give us a reading? Yeah. And you just tell me about your sure. poetry in general. Tell me about this little four-year-old out mm-hmm. with the pixies and the fairies <laughs> and, you know, what, what came to you then and this poetry that you've been... I mean, have you been holding that poetry inside of you? You know, was that part of you closed down as well with the, this experience mm. that you had in life, or were you have you always been writing poems? I've been writing poems fairly consistently since I was four, but have gone through periods of time where I feel like it was shut down. And I do think that one of those times, you know, was five years ago where I wasn't writing very much. I would even say that this person-to-person gathering in July opened me up more, re- reignited this in me, inspired me and, and reminded me that I do have something to say or that what I, what I think and feel is important and, right. and that even I shouldn't carry it alone. Yeah. So you've written some more poems. Yes. What have you, what have you got for us today? <laughs> Let's have a look. Yes. When I wrote this, I actually wrote it in mind as, as like a gift to give to the world, uh, to people. Um, So it was for myself, but it was was something I wanted to give as a gift. So it's titled, A Plea for Life. I sit inside, staring out the window, wanting those mountains, silence, and stillness to envelop me. Spin me into a cocoon, soothe my mind in a bath of dense fog. My life is unnatural, artificial in too many ways, toxic, disconnected. TV commercials pollute the air behind me while this iPhone tempts me into despair. I want a more alive life. I want a life my heart loves, a life in tune with my heart. I want more 
in needing much less. I want more organic matter in my soil and less rakes. I want more birds in my trees and less shelves. I want more soft barefoot walks and less concrete. I want more experiences and less things. You can change what you want. You may feel you want those plastic cups and plates, but what you really want is community. You may feel you want those blue dyed daisies from Safeway, but what you really want is beauty. You can let the earth teach your eyes to love the wildflowers and desire nothing less. It is possible, though heartbreaking and lonely at first, to live your values without sacrificing your life. The earth is waiting for you. You belong here. And when you come home to your belonging, you will find the wholeness all your chaos was hoping for. Thank you so much. Mm. I don't think it needs any explanation. <laughs> it's very beautiful. And we could talk for the next 10 hours, I reckon. <laughs> yes, we could. <laughs> and um, I'm so grateful for the discussion we've had. Um, you know, really, you mentioned yesterday your your interest in publishing some of your poems. Yes. I really feel you should. I mean, Thank I, you, Scott. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a very beautiful poem, and I'm sure you've got many, many more like that. I do. And I really, it's blossoming, Anne Marie, that we're seeing. You know, breaking free of these shackles and the shame that's been burdening you. I think there's some beauty there and some great wisdom, absolute wisdom. You know, Anne Marie, and uh, well, I'm excited to see what what's <laughs> going to come um, out of this amazing flowering and blossoming mm. that's coming and out of you. I feel it, you know. Um, I feel it when I'm with you and, uh, you know, I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to you about that today. Same with me, Scott. I am so grateful and I, I want you to know too that you asking me to do this podcast back in July is also directly contributing to this blossoming and having you spend time with me and, and ask questions and and really see me is is a huge gift. So thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, well, you know, let's um, look forward to these poems and yes, and, and I, more of your words. I, I, I want to hear more of your words and more of your voice in the world. I think you've got a great gift. Thanks so much, Anne Marie. Thank you. Good on you. Mm-hmm.